Tell you what's happening, guys. New episode of Eastman's Elevated here. So this week on the podcast, I have on Eastman's own Todd Helms. So Todd's been working for us for a couple years and does a lot of the editing. Um, so, so he reads over and edits all my articles and helps me look good in the magazine. So I always really appreciate that. And, and I've really enjoyed getting to know Todd and, and my interactions with him. And, and Todd's a diehard big game hunter, but he's also a diehard wingman. And, and he's a big driving force behind wingman, um, a new venture for Eastman's. So we get into that today and talk over some stories and tips and tactics, and and he's just a natural on the podcast. He's a really good speaker, so um, you guys will enjoy this episode. Uh, this episode's brought to you by Sitka Hunting Gear. So I'm just so impressed with with Sitka Gear. You know they they've always been building mountaineering gear, but every year they just improve their gear. They in, they improve it on the technical side of it. They improve their fabrics. Um, just, just, I'm just so impressed with their research and development team. Um, I'm also super impressed with their new pattern. Their new pattern is the subalpine. So when I first saw it, I thought, boy, that's a little too green for me. But as I get it out and start using it in the field, I'm just so impressed with the way it blends into all different landscapes. So, so they just had to test this in a variety of different terrains, but it just blends in with the fall colors really good, like the brown tan grass that we get around here in Montana. Um, it blends in with the green of the springtime. It blends in with the rocks and above tree line. Uh, just, just can't say enough good things. I'm just so impressed with their whole mountain system, with their layering system. It seems like they have every piece of gear that I like to use. Um, I love that subalpine, that camo pattern. Also love their solid colors they're coming out with. Um, so just super impressed. I, I'm switching almost all my gear over to Sitka. Uh, just a great company and, and great gear that they're building. So thanks to them for sponsoring the podcast. Um, over there at the Eastman's office. So if you guys haven't heard, um, you will on this podcast, but we have a new venture called Wingmen. And uh, Wingmen, um, they're, they're putting out a lot of good content, and uh, they have good social media pages. Um, right now we've got a brand new turkey hunt that's up um, on Wingmen. You can find it. Um, so, so just a, a really cool venture for Eastman's. Make sure to check it out, uh, Wingmen. So um, with that, let's get this thing rolling. Me and Todd Helms, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. All right, I'm live with Todd Helms. Todd, how are you today? I'm good, Brian. It's good to, good to be on. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you're kind of one of the faces of Wingman, and Wingman is kind of this new avenue that Eastman's going down. So maybe you can just start us out by telling us what Wingman's about. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, it was an idea that I had. Oh, I don't know, a year and a half ago now. It seems like it's it's been a little bit of a journey to get this thing up in the air. <laughs> no pun intended there. <laughs> but uh, you know, it was an idea when I've been I've been with Eastman's as a company for about three years now as an editor, and it was an idea that I that I just kind of pitched and threw out there, and everybody liked it. And I was kind of surprised, but you know, I've been a wing shooter my whole life and uh, you know you and i talked about that earlier brian and and you were too you know and a lot of guys get a start in hunting you know small game hunting especially birds specifically and that was something that i was looking at the journals looking at the way everything was laid out and i thought man it would be really cool to have 
a wing shooting a wing shooting journal like this um and specifically focusing on on waterfall uh to get us kind of started and it just kind of went from there we, we brainstormed and we we got some ideas and we got some formatting in and you know a lot of a lot of various people had a big hand in in this you know you had uh dan turby jr and scott reekers and um of course ike and guy throwing in a bunch of just massive support to help get this thing going and last night we debuted um we debuted as a trailer to an episode of eastman's hunting tv um kind of piggybacked off of a, a bear hunt that dan dan picard did and i just checked on facebook uh, a couple minutes ago to get some numbers and we're at like 2000 2000 views um and that's just for the or 2000 likes or i think we're 2000 views or 2000 likes doesn't matter um but we're that that's for the link to the video that we just posted today and so Oh, it's kind of viral for me, you know. It's, it's kind of a big, it's kind of a big deal, and to have an idea like that come to fruition is is really really cool. Yeah. And you know, it the whole idea behind it is to kind of to kind of catch that flavor of the of the hunting journals a little bit <clears throat> with gear reviews and tips and tactics and techniques and different things. But more than anything, we wanted to capture memories. We wanted to capture the haunt, the experience of it. Because, you know, short of, short of killing banded birds, yeah, you stack up a bunch of mallards or a bunch of honkers, and you have, you certain shots stick out in your brain. But the birds themselves, it's not like killing a Boone and Crockett mule deer or a big bull elk, you know, where it's the animal itself that you remember forever. I mean, you have certain special birds, but waterfalling wing shooting in general is about the experience you know it's about those special hunts those special moments that that really define really define the the passion the pursuit and that's what i want to capture that's what that was the idea that that i pitched and and everybody kind of liked that and i feel like the trailer does a really cool job getting us an intro to that yeah, so. for sure. No, the trailer was great. Well, and uh, Dan Picard's episode was so good on that spring bear yes. hunt. He did a yeah, really good it. job on that spring bear hunt. And so I saw kind of the lead into it in Facebook that Wingman was was debuting, and I thought, well, well, no, this is Dan's uh, bear hunt on here. <laughs> and then about the last ten minutes, it came on there, and you guys did such a good job, Todd. You oh, did a thanks, great Brian. job last night, and you did a great job describing kind of what Wingman's about. And uh, the excitement of the hunt, and uh, it just did like I love all the uh, all the B roll footage, of, like loading shotguns and ducks coming through and floating down the river, and like you you guys set up for geese, and and then you had some dove shooting. It was it was just all put together so well. Um, it was it was like no bird hunting show I'd ever seen. So you guys did a great job last night. Cool, that you know, and that's that's exactly the feedback that that I want to hear. You know. I want it to hear that people like it, and so far that's the feedback that we're hearing. Is it's very, very popular. Everything's pretty positive. And you talk about the extra shots, the B-roll stuff like that. It, it, it was it, the whole thing was pretty organic, you know. Um, f- shooting it and filming it, it was just like all of a sudden Dan was over here, and then he'd be over there. And there's a shot where he's shooting um, the my partner uh, Tom Kohler and I. 
uh, at an angle, and he was across the decoy spread from us. And we were hunting, if you can kind of see it, we were hunting up against this big red cliff. I did and see that. side channel right there. And Dan was actually able to tuck himself into a crevice in that cliff, and he just disappeared. And he actually had birds come in and land. They're going to land like right in the decoys, right in front of him. And to be able to pull that off, he had the perfect backdrop, perfect lighting. He was able to shoot back up through to back up through towards the sunrise and get some of the some of the mist filtering through the trees. It was really cold that morning. We were looking at uh, right around zero degrees, and uh, it was just amazing footage. He turned. He hollered at me at one point. He's like, "I have never in my life gotten gotten video like this, and you know, gotten stills especially like this. This is incredible." It was just perfect. It was just absolutely perfect. You know, it was God gave us a perfect morning for conditions and the the birds worked and I thought it was the perfect kickoff to what Wingman is about. I feel like it really captured those those ideas, you know, and I the you talking about the the goose hunt in the snow. Again, I, I thought that I thought that hunt turned out incredibly well. I wasn't able to tag along on that one, but the guys did a nice job putting some footage together and looked like they had a great time and a great hunt and really kind of captured the camaraderie of that. And then, and then the dove, the little dove segment. I mean, there's so many guys in the West that start their fall off September one or even in August around the West with doves. And, you know, sometimes that season kicks off right before the big game seasons do. And it's the first chance after a long wait of guys can get out in the field and, and enjoy some time hunting and and then of course eating some doves when you're done if, if, if you're if you're lucky enough to get into them so <laughs> <laughs> yeah for sure well and that's what bird hunting is out west too it's just another fun time to be outdoors and experiencing outdoors and um it's just so much pure fun uh, like there isn't as much pressure um you know as as big game hunting and you just kind of get out and go walk around you can go as hard as you want to go and you just kind of go get into birds and and you go with your buddies you know and so it, it's fun to share those experiences in the field and spend as much time outdoors as you can so i i think wingman's going to be a great addition to to eastman's for sure yeah i i, I would agree with you brian you know and there's there's always going to be some hardcore, some hardcore bird guys out there going to be like, "What do you mean? There's no pressure, you know? This, this, that, and the other thing." But you know, we, you and I kind of have chatted about this in the past, and we've talked about it around the office um, at Eastman's. And you know, I think back to my wife's first elk tag, and there was a hard tag to draw, and she got lucky and she drew it. And then we had to learn a completely new area, and we spent hours and hours and hours researching where the elk were uh research talking to biologists getting an idea about how things put worked out and put together and just getting the lay of the land and then that was all before we even had boots on the ground and we spent literally weeks uh, we would just move to a new area and this this zone this area was in where we lived and we so we were able to run out there after work and on weekends and we learned a whole the bulk of a unit in a matter of weeks before her season opened and we were able to within a couple of days of the opener um find a really good bull and and she she tagged out but just i'll never forget that hunting for someone else at that point for my wife the amount of pressure that went into that 
I don't experience that on a on a duck hunt. You know, you want things <laughs> to go you want things to go well, and you want to be in the right spot, and you do your you know, and, and scouting is a huge part of the waterfowl game, especially. You know, if you're not, especially when you're hunting dry land, if you're not on the X where those birds want to be, you're going to have a tough day. You know, you're going to have a really tough day killing birds. And so there is pressure there, but it's it's different than the big game pressure. And I don't want to marginalize anybody's, you know, anybody's experience of, of what they do because, man, I, I we got my brother and I got into a, a time period in our lives um, in college and then right after college where our lives pretty much revolved around ducks and geese. And we, we, I mean, that's all we did. And we had, we worked shifts. We, we were working shift work and I was still going to school a little bit and we had it set up so we could hunt almost every day. And we had, we were scouting constantly and the amount of, we put ourselves under a lot of pressure to, to be successful in that. But it was, it's a lot different than having a, a possibly once in a, once in a five or ten year period elk tag <laughs> you know you're gonna get yeah. to hunt geese and ducks every year so well yeah, it's you, different you always want to go and go get into them i mean that's part oh, yeah. of the fun is immersing yourself in the outdoors and no matter if you're hunting big game you're hunting small game or or for me if i'm hunting if, if i'm fishing well and you too i know you love to fish you always want to go get into them and you always oh, want to yeah. do well but you know, if it if it's not the best day in the world and you knock down a couple birds, you do better tomorrow. You get to keep going yes. out day after day and kind of in, improve on it and get better at your skills and better at reading where they're going to land. Because you're right, there's there's so much that goes into hunting birds, and and you can tie a lot of hunting birds or fishing or whatever it is. You can tie that into big game and really improve oh, your absolutely. skills. And, and absolutely. like you say, dry land, you're always trying to be on the X of where the birds are. I think in the river too you're always trying to find the bends where they're sitting you know the back sloughs where they like to be and if you can set your decoys where birds like to be that's when you get into them but if you make like a random set in a river in a bend like you might get some flybys and you might get a couple birds but you're not going to get them good like you got to be where the birds want to be if you want to get them good yeah no i completely i completely agree with you you know and that was I'm pretty lucky. I live in a great spot um, here in in Wyoming. We have a lot of wintering birds, and so they have a tendency to use the same areas year after year after year after year. So after you get to know know the area, you know what places you're going to kill birds and what places you don't. But when you're hunting migratory birds that are migrating through an area, you're spot on, Brian. I mean, if you're not, if you don't go out and and scout, if you don't go out and watch and pay attention and be observant. You know, you just don't, you're just not going to be successful. And so there's got to be that passion for it. You know I mean? Every time, every time you go out and you don't do, you know, you know, your results don't equal your expectation, you're driven. You're driven to, to get better. You're driven to, man, I screwed up that, I screwed up that pass. I should have called the shot here. Or, you know, we should have been set up 50 yards downwind further. Or we should have done this. Or, you know, my, my decoy spread's a little off. All those little things, those are all parts of the passion. And it's not, like you said, it's 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 the same for big game guys, too. And I think you do learn a lot about the, you can apply a lot of those things to the big game realm. You know, being observant is a huge, huge part of hunting in general. And watching, reading animals' body language, how they react to calls, 
how they react to a lot of different situations and and uh, decoy spreads. You know, most of the time you have the advantage of being able to watch a flock of ducks react to your calls. And you don't have that necessarily that same reaction with a bull elk. You can't necessarily watch him all the time when you're calling to him until he comes into view quite often. And so you've got to be you got to be paying attention to the details. And mm-hmm. you know you watch you watch those birds shift a little bit in their flight pattern. Oh, they heard me. Oh, they like that. Or oh, they didn't like that. You know, or they. <laughs> That's usually the case with me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're well. usually going the other way. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm with you. It is. It's reading nature, isn't it? And whether you're yeah. hunting bull elk or you're hunting ducks or whatever, you know, there nature wants to do what nature wants to do, and you have to just go be part of it and go try to figure out the the system or the you know the 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 reason why they like this or the reason why they don't like that. And so that's part of the fun too. Is just immersing yourself, you know, in the ecosystem system out there and trying to figure it all out yeah no you're you're absolutely right you know and and going back to that uh, to the to the thought about it's about the experience you know some of my fondest memories in the outdoors have been the firsts you know the firsts of i was just thinking the other day i'm getting fired up for turkey season here you know it opens it opens tomorrow uh, here in in a lot of parts of Wyoming, a couple parts it's been open for a couple days, but you know you're getting fired up, you're getting ready to go, and thinking about oh, I'm going to go here, going to go there. In fact, I need to run out. I need to run out this evening after we're done and try to put a gobbler to bed. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> you know, let's see see if I can get it done in the morning. But you get you know you think about those firsts. And I was going through my turkey stuff. I don't know a couple days back, and just getting stuff around. And I started thinking about, man, what was the first gobbler that I called in by myself and got it done? And I remember I was in high school, and I'd hunted turkeys for a long time before I actually called one in all by myself and killed it. You know, I'd I'd been I'd put the sneak on on a couple one time and got I'd killed some birds, but that first one I'll never forget when he stepped up kind of came up over the ridge in the hardwoods and he thundered right in my face and it was like whoa this is gonna happen and it's the same it was the same experience with the first bull elk i called in it was like those are the things that stick out you know there was a i'll never forget there was a specific time on a late season goose hunt when duck season was still open the ducks were pretty scarce but um i was able to work this hen mallard in this is late season in Michigan, lots of lots and lots of hunting pressure. And I was able to work this hen mallard in and literally put her in the decoys on the water, and she sat there for probably 10 or 15 seconds before she flew off. And I, I worked her in a big, in just circle after circle after circle with the call. And I'll never forget the sense of accomplishment. We didn't even shoot that bird. It was a hen. It was like, oh, I'm not shooting a hen. Not that I haven't shot hens in the past, but just like no i want to work this bird and we worked her right in and put her right on the water in the decoys and that sense of accomplishment that hey i just fooled this bird is it's it's astounding it's the same thing when you when you sneak into bow range on a big mule deer or a pronghorn or bear or you call in that big bull it's it's those firsts you know it's it's that sense of accomplishment your your study everything's paid off you know Mm -hmm. Well, and and I remember, 
you know, I was bird hunting as a kid, and those are some of my my fondest best memories, and where I learned a ton. Like our our deer hunting, I was in Western Washington, and and we hunted blacktails, and we got about four weeks, and my. My dad would walk me through with our rain gear, and we'd just go walk through the coastal rainforest looking for these deer. And sometimes you'd go a couple weeks without even seeing one, and you were lucky if you got one shot a season. And, yeah. and so then it would turn into bird season and turn into duck season, and all of a sudden as a kid, I'd get to shoot, you know. Every day <laughs> I'd get to shoot. Like that is so much fun, you know, especially oh, when, when you haven't shot all season. You can't find a buck to shoot, and I just, you know, uh, my dad was a good hunter and taught me well, you know. It's just the deer populations were down, and, and who knows if we weren't quite dialed on it or not. And we, you know, somebody in our family would get a buck every year. It just, you know, it wasn't you that got one every year, but I remember... I remember going out bird hunting just how much fun that was and then when I was finally 16 I had my own rig and and so I I had these few spots that I would go and I would be out there every single day after school on the weekends and and just trying to figure it out and I was a horrible shot I couldn't hit anything but <laughs> I, I think that was part of the practice and I think that's also what really helps you in big game hunting is that that adrenaline rush that you get when you're shooting at a buck or a bull you get like a micro dose of that shooting at birds. When those birds come into the decoys, you feel that excitement and you throw up your shotgun and you forget to look down the barrel and you forget to lead them. And you all of a sudden you shot, shot three times and no birds fell and you go, oh, gosh, I forgot to aim. You know? and, so, and so learning how to aim and how to keep your composure and keep your cool when those birds would cup their wings and come in and you're a 16-year-old kid or, or heck, for that matter, a 30-year-old man just trying to keep your composure you know when birds commit and come in and it finally happens and then making that good shot on them like i think you i think you gain experience from that and i think you gain like learning how to keep your cool in those scenarios which which transfers over to big game no i completely agree you know there's success breeds success you know that's that's something that as a as a as a coach and my coaches all throughout my life have always said that you want to you if you uh yeah success breeds success sorry stumbling over myself there but yeah no worries no you're totally right though yeah being successful with birds and learning how to control your emotions learning how to aim your shotgun and actually you know uh, lead the bird and be able to knock them down like it transfers right over to keeping your coal when a bull elk comes in and you're trying to shoot your bow out now that's a bigger dose of adrenaline. I get that, but it, it readies you for it, you know, and it you kind of yeah. find that calm shooting at birds for sure. Well, you know, and I think you're right. I think you're right. You know, the the whole being able to keep yourself under control and and just let the gun be an extension of you, you know, and you're and you're pointing it and swinging it. You're keeping your head on the stock. You're not looking up. And we all still make those mistakes. I don't know anybody. And I know some, I know some guys that are wizards with a shotgun. And they still miss. You know, it, it was, uh, it's just part of the game. It's, it's, it's the excitement of it. You know, that's why guys miss with a rifle. You know, and it's, it's like how you, you, you think, you know, you plant a bull elk out there at 150 yards broadside. How do you miss him with a rifle? And we all do. I mean, people do. And, uh, it's the same way with a shotgun, you know, it's, you, you get all excited when you got that flock of birds coming in and it is kind of a micro dose, you know, and 
the day that I, the day that that goes away for me is the day I'll quit. Is the day I'll quit bird hunting. You yeah. know, and that's a cliche that you that you hear guys say all the time, but it's true. You know that I I'm I get jacked every year when I before before the first hunt, and I don't necessarily hunt on the opener. Uh, here in Wyoming, like I did in Michigan, I mean, man, I remember sleeping in my duck boat on <laughs> Saginaw Bay to make sure we got a spot, you know. Um, I remember being at the draw in in Shiawassee for, at 3 o'clock in the morning to go to go to get a spot. And there's there's not as much, there's not quite that pressure. Thank God there's not quite that pressure <laughs> like that out here, but, but it's... Um, you know, a lot of times where I live in Wyoming, we don't have a lot of birds when season first opens. Um, a couple of years ago, we got blessed with the perfect storm. Uh, we got an early September snow, and then it snowed through in the first part of October as well. We hadn't had a lot of water. We were kind of coming out of a drought. And so some of the places that normally are underwater were just moist and damp, and those storms pushed down thousands of early migrators. And so in the first part of the season, we were killing birds that normally weren't here yet. You know, we wouldn't show up until November or December. And so, yeah, our season's a little bit later, but, man, that first trip out is like opening day all over again. It's just exciting. And, you know, you're getting stuff around, and the dog's running around all excited. He knows what's going on, and, you know, my wife's my wife rolling her eyes at me going, geez, you're just like a kid before Christmas. And that's like, that's right. That's right. That's why we do this, you know. <laughs> well, right. Uh, well, I having passion in your life and excitement is everything for me. And whether it's, you know, whatever it is you're getting excited for. But you can't, you know, just having big game season almost isn't enough. You've got to have other things that you enjoy to do. And, and for guys like me and you, you know, it's getting out and it's hunting birds. It's fishing. It's, it's being outdoors. It's shed hunting. It's like anything they'll let me do out in the mountains. That's what I'm going to go do for a little bit. And, and you know, bird hunting is so really fun, you know. And, and us in the early season, like, we don't. They won't run okay, the so rib. let me ask you a question yep. real quick, Brian. Yep, How ahead. distracted, this, this is the measure of whether you're a true wingman or not. <laughs> How distracted do you get by rough grouse and blue grouse when you're, tra- when you're hunting mule deer <laughs> or elk? <laughs> um, well, I don't think I passed the test. I don't get too excited anymore. I just shot enough of them, and I'm into my goal, and I, I don't go for them. But I love hunting them like, with my dog in that early, right, if right. I'll get a day in September, I'll, I'll go hunt them. But no, I've just lost too many arrows in those things and had yeah. too many of them set their wings and fly away from me or or you know bust a bull elk out because I shot a grouse that, that yeah, anymore, yeah, I, I just... I appreciate the sighting, but I just kind of let them walk, and I have my times when I'm when I'm focused on them and when I'm not focused on them, so I'm able right, to switch it on right. and off. So I don't quite pass that test, but I I, <laughs> I do love to bird hunt when I go out. Oh, I just I'm just messing with you a little bit because I can't let them go. <laughs> if I I've always got I've always got a big rubber blunt or two on an arrow in my in my quiver during archery elk or or if you're chasing mule deer around and and they're they are a huge distraction for me because they are a passion they are a passion of mine you know i grew up chasing grouse in michigan's upper peninsula and that was grouse and woodcock season used to open consecutively on september 15th when i was a kid and man that's 
that was what you did. That was the first hunting season that we that we got, and we actually had sharp tail up there as well, sharp tail grouse, and we were able to hunt those. Um, and we usually would hunt those for a couple weeks until the leaves would start to change and the woods would thin out a little bit because you couldn't even see the rough grouse. The woods was so thick, you just hear them fly away, and you're never going to get you very seldom get a shot at them. But that's what we grew up doing. And so when I moved to the west. It was a flip-flop. You know, big game came first, and then came the bird hunting. And so I'm in the mountains chasing chasing around big animals with a stick and string or in some of those early gun seasons, and the leaves are changing, and those those same old smells from my childhood are, are taking me back to those days of just autumn glory and hunting birds. And then all of a sudden, hey, there's a grouse running around. And... I don't know. I don't know. We we can laugh about it, but it's it's a real thing, you know. And that's we're treading on what what wingmen's about, you know. It's it's that passion, and it's it's the guys that that just live for it, you know. Whether it's South Dakota hunting pheasants, whether it's um, hunting ducks and geese anywhere in the country, doves early. Uh, upland birds you know yeah, we you, got good hunts around here you guys got a lot of oh huns? yeah 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 we do we do you know we've had we had a actually had a great year on huns and chuckers this this year and just just tapping into those resources you know and that's that's what this is that's the game that's why it's cool yeah, well, and they eat so good, but is there oh. anything that can, um, how can such a small bird scare the heck out of you in the woods <laughs> when you're walking around and one of those grouse gets up and just, you oh, know, yeah. right in front of you when you're trying to be quiet or you're... Especially you, in grizzly country. Oh, man. Put your heart in your throat. Uh, yeah, I've never been so scared from a small <laughs> little bird in all my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you think you're going to get mauled to death, and it, then you, oh, okay, it was a grouse. <laughs> oh, well, and they, they wait to let you get so close before they fly, too, that that's what makes you jump out of your skin. Like, if you were 50 yards away, it wouldn't be any big deal, but they get up, like, right at your feet and just scare the heck out of you. Yeah, yeah, you know, and they do that here, back where I grew up. They're a little smarter than the ones out here. They get on it a lot harder. So, you know, there's a, there's going to be a bunch of guys from the over Midwest going, I don't know what you're talking about, Brian. <laughs> because, oh, gotcha. Yeah, those, they just get hunted. You know, they get hunted a lot harder. And rough grouse, actually, um, they're back there. My dad and I were talking about this. He had a really rough season last year. He um, Woodcock flights were really, really late for him. But... Um, the grouse would, they just wouldn't cooperate. And they were running like rooster pheasants. And they do that a lot. And out here, we think, oh, they're just, they just sit there. But you put a dog on the ground, it's a different, it's a different ball game. As I'm sure you've, sure you've seen, you know, you're talking about taking your dog out and, and same thing for me here. I put my dog on the ground and they don't, they don't sit there. They don't let you walk up on them like that. So, but yeah, they're, oof, they, they definitely can put the, can make your, heart race that's for sure <laughs> there's a bunch of analogies we could use there but yeah for yeah, sure. yeah they yeah. scare the heck out of you but you know that is part of the fun is all the different experiences you can get being a wingman like i like the the birds out late or the ducks out late ducks and geese and then you know grouse early hungarian partridge late pheasants in a pheasant field that's about as fun as it gets and those things it eat is. so well and and they tie such good flies too so you got to get a oh, couple yeah. of those a year 
here. And, and uh, you know, there's just so many different experiences that you can get shooting and being outdoors and walking around the mountains. And, and, and I think you were saying, like, you can go as hard as you want to. You can go walk a mile. Or if you really want to go for it, you can blow yourself up and walk 15 miles in a day yeah, to try exactly. to find those things. And, and, well, and, especially – go ahead. Yeah, uh, and when and just um, like you were saying, getting your dog out—that's got to be the funnest. The funnest thing about it is, is watching your dog have so much fun, like out there minding you and doing what he's supposed to be doing, but retrieving those birds because he just loves it. He's, there's there's no better excitement for a bird dog than going bird hunting. No, absolutely. You know, and dogs—the dogs are such a huge part of it, and obviously being. Um, hardcore waterfowler have been for a long time i've always had labs um and different retrievers of different different breeds but labs is kind of where i've settled they they fit me they fit my personality really well and i've owned different dogs i've had some pointing breeds and had some different things um i think if i i think if i still lived in the woods of michigan i'd definitely have a pointing probably a Brittany or a setter or maybe even a german um uh, a Drothar, I've, I've got a buddy that runs some Drothars. Okay. Awesome, all awesome dogs, all awesome dogs. And I don't care what kind of dog you run, watching that dog work, you know, whether it's whether it's plowing through water to, to retrieve a big greenhead, you know, late in late season, or watching, like you said, working a pheasant field and having a dog slant, get downwind of a rooster and slam on the point in a fence row or something, there's nothing there's just nothing that quite compares to that for the wing shooter you know that's that's what you live for and that's the dogs are i said something to my dad in a conversation i said you know i've got to the point where if i can't hunt without if i can't hunt with my dog i just won't hunt you know he's such a my dog's such an integral part of the experience for me that i'd rather i'd rather do something else than you know, go call coyotes or do something like that. Then, if I if I'm gonna go bird hunting without my dog, no thanks. My, I want my dog there. You know, and so that's a huge, huge deal. You know, and, and it's it's good for them. It's good for us. And you talk about going hard. You want to go 15 miles. You some of these late some of these late season chucker hunts around the west. And you want to talk about physical conditioning up and down those hills and chasing birds around. And your dog's got to be in shape too, you know. And I wrote a one of the first pieces I wrote for wingmen. I wrote an extreme conditions dog care piece, and it was geared pretty pretty heavily towards the waterfowler. And I talk about a bunch of kind of unique things that I've experienced here in the West, and I've learned and picked up on hunting so late and in such possibly very very life threatening conditions for your dog, and how to head those off. Because the dog is such an important part of the experience for me, that I'm going to take care and take the best care of him as uh, my dog as I possibly can. And so many people, and I don't know about you, but my dog's part of my family. You know, he's not just a bird dog. So. Yeah, I mean, I am the same way. I had a, I had a chocolate lab there for quite a few years and he passed and since he passed like you say he was such a big part of bird hunting that really I've 
I've dropped off the last couple of years, and now we have a a new dog coming that's going to be um, ready for us in June. Um, but oh, like cool. you say, yeah, it's a it's a black lab. My girls, I've got two daughters and my wife, and everybody's super excited. But you're right, they're they're an absolute family dog for us. You know, he's got a mind yeah. in the house and be a good family dog first. But then we go bird hunting, and that's kind of his release and kind of his fun. And it it's fun training him too. And when you have a dog, like it takes. It takes a couple years of really working with them and, and really being patient with them too until they come around. But once once they get to maturity and they know what you want and know how to hunt, they just mind so well that you don't even have to say anything to him hardly. You know, you just he knows what you expect and he knows his job and what he's supposed to do. But that's where it really gets enjoyable out there, where where he's just working for you. He's not getting out of range on upland game birds. He knows to keep around. He knows his directions if a bird drops and he doesn't see it you know bird hunting he just uh duck hunting he sits there just so excited just half shaking in the blind just wanting a bird to come in so bad and then he gets so torqued when you miss a bird too <laughs> those <laughs> dogs that hate that is, yeah uh, yeah the look he gets like really yeah right that was, that was a gimme man <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you're right that is a huge part of it but i thought that um that article i'm super interested in because you're right us uh you know, Western bird hunters out here, there's a real danger to our dogs. I know I've had a buddy that lost one um, under the ice. I think it was like yeah. the gorge ice out here on our river, and it, it got uh, went out after a bird and, and got too far down the river and got sucked underneath some got ice. Got sucked under the ice. Yep. Yep. And, I mean, yep. I like you say, safety's got to be number one with your dog. He's a family member, and I don't want to have to come back and tell my girls that, you know, my dog's not coming back with me or something. So right. I thought that was a really good article and we talked about it the other day and so you talked about um danger with the ice and then you also talked about the cold i used to the like the colder the temperatures usually the better the bird hunting is but my dog could hardly be out there once it got below 10 degrees or below zero you know we'd have to go for a very short time out there because his he'd start picking up his pads off the off the ice and stuff and i'd so I'd try to lay bags down and padding for him, you know, so he could keep his yes. keep his paws so they wouldn't get frozen or frostbit. But I think that's such a good article that you writ that not that you wrote that not many guys touch on is dog safety out west. Yeah, you know, and it's and it's we're it's different out here in the western states. And when I mean, when I say western states, I mean Montana, um, Wyoming, all all the way down to Nebraska has late seasons. Colorado has late seasons. Places that get cold. I mean, you're talking below freezing temperatures and water that's the only reason it's not frozen is it's moving, you know. That's hard on a dog. And um, I I really wanted to cover that because, you know, most of the time when conditions are like that in the Midwest where I grew up, the water was frozen. And we weren't hunting in conditions like that. If we were, we were hunting dry land. Uh, late in January, late goose seasons, and it was dry land. A lot of that was dry land hunts, and we just didn't face the same conditions. And so when I moved out here, you know, I had to, I had, I really had to take stock of that. And it took my dog getting hypothermic the first time for me to go, "Whoa, what's what's going on here?" But it, you know, you got to realize you're you got to you got a retriever, not a walrus. You know, it's <laughs> they're not. They're not built well, for those. They're kind of part those. walrus, but yeah, you yeah, they are. They, <laughs> no, they make it I, you're seem right, that though. way sometimes, you know. But he can't tell you with words. They can't tell you what, how they're feeling. And no, most, you're right. I don't know. I don't know about your lab, but my lab will go until he 
literally physically can't go anymore and then it's too late you know it's like whoa it's really time to go now where you know you got to pay attention to those things and i talk a lot about that in the article you know i've got a rule here that if it's if it's 10 degrees i've got to have some pretty or or 10 degrees or colder i've got to have some pretty special conditions to take my dog into because i'm not going to take him out on the big river when it's that cold and the water's pushing slush you know the river's pushing slush down the river um that's hard on that's hard on a dog it's really hard on a dog and then you got you're dealing with shelf ice and i was lucky enough to get hooked up with a kind of a an old sage here he's in kind of an old hand been around the been around the the western duck hunting game for a long time and he's learned a lot of lessons the hard way um you know watched hunting buddies lose their dogs like you just said uh it happens every year out here and he showed me a trick about how to help your dog on the ice because a lot of times that shelf ice will stick out 8, 10 feet off the bank or 15 feet off the bank, and it might be a day that's warm enough, but, you know, scouting downriver, you want to have lots of room to get your dog out, hunting shallow enough stuff where your dog can get in and out. It's not trying to drag himself out on the ice, but it does happen where you've got to help your dog out. And I learned how to rope, you know, and I'm not saying I'm a, going to be national finals tie down roper anytime (laughs) soon but but you know just to be able to throw a throw a little underhand loop out and get it around your dog and not yank them out of the water but just give them something to pull against so we can get some purchase because you don't want to step out there you know at the end of the day it's going to be a lot easier on your family for you to apologize you know for you to apologize for something happening to your dog than for the authorities to be apologizing to your family, something happened to you. Yeah, you, know? you can't and put your so, life in danger. No, no, no. And so that little rope trick, I, the first time I saw him do that, I thought, wow, look at that. You know, that was pretty slick. And it's not something you want to have to want to have to use, but it's a nice trick to have in the bag that I would have never thought of that. Man, and, that, you know, yeah, that's a great uh, tip, Todd. I yeah, I I wouldn't know that trick either. And you're right, like that shelf ice. If it's shallow, they just jump right up on it. Yeah. It's not that big yep. a deal. But if it's and I work really hard to make sure I've got where I'm hunting. If I know there's going to be shelf ice, I make I won't hunt a spot if the main area where the dog is working, he has to climb in and out. He's got to be able to just whoop hop right out. But you know, bird goes downstream, you get a cripple, whatever you're going to be faced with situations like that. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. It's just uh, they move downstream trying to retrieve a bird, and all of a sudden yeah. they can't get back up on that shelf ice, and they almost tip over backwards back over into the water again. No, that's a great trick, that um, that roping them out there. And like you say, you're not dragging them up. You're just giving them something they can pull against so they can climb up on it. Yeah. You know, it's, and it was it's the same idea with – when we're hunted out of a boat all the time on some of the big water in the Great Lakes, um, some some boats we hunted out of had we had dog platforms and some didn't, and you know we always had like a boater's parka, a boater's vest on the dog. But you look at some of the old school guys that, that were doing it back in the day, and they didn't have vests for their dogs, and um, they just grabbed the dog by the collar. But that's exactly what they would say. They wouldn't lift the dog. They would give him purchase, you know, they would get his front feet on the edge of the boat and just pull on the collar enough where he had something else to pull against and the dog would get himself in the boat as long as he had something to brace himself against. And so that's kind of where that concept 
concept falls. Yeah. And it works. Yeah, um, I love that saying, get purchase. I think I'm going to use that. And I don't think I've ever heard that, but like give them grip, give them something to pull against, give them purchase. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, in in like you say, hunting out west here is just a different beast than hunting different places. And, and we is. had our own challenges, you know, out on the coast of Washington out there oh, too, bet. you know, with, with mud that you can get stuck in or you try to get out to get a bird and then your dog gets stuck in the mud, you know, but yep. you can really get in some sticky situations and, and bird hunting you know, you don't think of it as dangerous, but you flip over into the water like the like I remember um one of the first things I saw about wingman was Dan Turvey dancing on the ice out there. Yeah, buddy. You know, which was funny as all get out, but you know, it's serious stuff if you go into that icy water. Like you're you're a limited amount of time before you got to to you got to get warm and you got to get warmed up. So it, yeah. it is dangerous, and you go you do got to take that into account. Crossing rivers yeah, absolutely. And, and oh, absolutely. Slush you know, ice coming down and. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not that it's any more dangerous than per se than than you know big game hunting. You know, you're, yep. you're dealing with you're dealing with climbing climbing and rough and rocky and steep terrain. You could fall. Obviously, there's the you know they always say yeah you got a better chance. Your average American's got a better chance of being mauled by a bear, a grizzly than they they've got a better chance of being struck by lightning. It's like yeah, unless you live right in grizzly country and that's where you spend all your time. Yeah, you or know, you, hunt, you gotta, hunt mule deer in the high country, and there's a bunch <laughs> of lightning around, then then yeah, that might that be your too. better chance too. But yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, you sure exactly, up your odds by the time you spend out in doing that. You know, absolutely. And, yeah, and it's the same with waterfowling. You know, you're around water, around <laughs> you know, you're freezing ducks and geese. Yeah, and it's cold. Yeah, and you're yeah, you're usually layered up with heavy thick heavy thick equipment on, whether it's Breathable waders with a lot of insulation or neoprene waders on. That stuff gets iced up. It gets cold. It gets stiff. You don't have the mobility. And so you look at that video of Dan. He's lucky he didn't fall and break some ribs or something. And you're right. It's it's, it's funny to watch because we've all done it. <laughs> yep. But it could have, you know, especially if he was by himself. Yeah. And he went down, broke a leg, and he's stuck out there on the, in that cold like that. They're things that you don't think about when you're in your teens and your twenties. Yes. But they kind of start coming to coming to into the forefront of your mind when you become a, a dad and, and like so many of us are, and and you know you hit those those mid thirties and and forties or even older. You know it. I, I hunt with I hunt with some of the some of the older some of the old guard still, and and I actually I hunt with several with with quite a few of them, and they're just a they're just a riot to be around. My dad being one, and they don't. They don't get in a hurry. <laughs> yeah, you'd never, you'd never see my dad pull that move that Turvey pulled on camera. Never. <laughs> no, he'd have waited downstream and waited for that bird to eddy out and picked it up there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you get smarter as you get older. You live through some of those experiences, and it's, um, you know, I don't know. Like, as we were young men, like you talk in your 20s and your 30s, you just used to go for it. And sometimes you just didn't know better, or sometimes you were just headstrong. But you sure put yourself in a lot of danger. And, and yeah. yet you, you can't you can't discount the dangers in the risk when you're out there bird hunting around water. And like you say, it gets so cold, 
and I'm a really good waiter. I can wade anything, but you get out there in that cold, and like you say, you get all those clothes on, or you get those ice shelves, and everything's frozen, and then you've got sliding ice coming down the yep. river, and, yep. and you know, all of a sudden, the best waiter in the world can have his feet taken out from under him and be laying oh, yeah. in the river. So you really do have to be cautious with with anything you do, and as you get older, you definitely get smarter. That's for sure. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's it's like you don't see. You don't see a, a a mass tragedy in big game hunting like you saw with the Armistice Day storm, and I think it was nineteen fourteen or nineteen uh, Veterans Day, basically. And that's that was a big storm that just killed a bunch of guys in the Midwest, in the Upper Midwest. Um, just a perfect storm, and it, and it killed a bunch of guys that were out duck hunting. That's that's and that's what happened, and it's still famous to this day. You go back there, and people still talk about that storm. You know, nobody's around that really remembers it, but it's still kind of legend, you know. And it's always in the back of your mind when you're boating in the cold, when you're wading in the cold. You're spending a lot of time around the water, and stuff happens. Yep. And you've got to and you've got to be careful. You know, I had, I had unfortunately, I had two two guys that I knew in college. Um, capsized a boat when they were duck hunting, and they both drowned. Oh, you know, yeah, and so you know, and we had it last season down in Texas, and I believe there was another case in Oklahoma where where guys drowned, and when they were duck hunting, it happens every year, and it's just one of those things. It's got to always be at the forefront. You've got to be safe, and you know, it's you'd think it'd go without saying, but we do. We get we get that passion going. We get excited. We get out there and get after those birds, and the next thing you know, we sometimes we don't make the best decisions, and you know, and that's that's another realm of, of wingmen. You know, we're going to talk about stuff like that. Um, we're gonna we're going to bring up tips and ideas and tactics about how to stay safe, how to keep your dog safe, healthy, both of you, um, and then hopefully we'll have people share this, share ideas like the roping trick. I didn't. That's not mine. I borrow. I stole that. You That's know, a right? good one. I'm going to steal it too. <laughs> oh heck yeah, absolutely. You know, so yeah. Hopefully, we can get some of that stuff out there because it's it's little things like that. You know that you just don't see on a, on a daily basis. You know, you see a lot of who can build a home, who can build a home best homemade duck blind. You know, and hey, those are cool. That's awesome. Um, but. That's pretty. It's, that's fairly common. Let's do something a little different. Let's look at some of the ideas that are out there that are that guys are doing that uh, that are unique, that are different. Yeah, that's what that's what we want to do. That's what we want to see. Yeah, for sure. Well, and, and mistakes can be made by anybody, and then you have to know how to handle it from there. Yeah. And, and it's it's really easy. One slip of the foot, or like Dan, anytime that ice is on an angle, look out. You know, I've stepped yeah, out buddy. of my truck on the job site and went flat oh, on my back just right yep. now, you know. So it can yep. it can definitely happen to anybody. But I think that's great, and I think the wingman's great. I think I, I really like how you guys are coming up with uni- unique ideas unique articles um it, it's just so cool and so eventually the goal is to have a publication right and have um, public landers or do-it-yourselfers send in stories or, or send in pictures and and, and help be it be publicized that way is that right todd yeah you're spot on brian um that's exactly what what the idea is to be again kind of the kind of the bird hunters version of eastman's hunting journals um, where people are sending us stories, 
I, I think we're probably a little ways out from any print, <clears throat> just because we're looking at the at the lay of the media landscape, and it's digital, and so increasingly digital, and so we're gonna we're gonna hit we're gonna jump into that game first, uh, and be that way pretty hard. We just we just our second our April. For lack of a better term, we just we just coined the new name uh, Wing News, um, and it's our digital media news. It's like the Eastman's E News. We're doing. We just put that'll be our next next one will be out here end of the month, end of this month, April. Um, I'm cranking out some some articles right now on as we speak on that, and so that's the first format, and then video. Lots of video, kind of similar idea to beyond the to the Beyond the Grid series that Eastman's is doing now. Probably quite a bit of YouTube stuff. I don't know. We're we're pretty open right now. You know, it's a it's a new venture. There's a lot of exciting stuff going on in the world of media right now. You know, print media is still still viable, but there's so many other frontiers that there's so many cool options to explore out there that it's like, man, let's 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 do it. Let's just try stuff and let's let's give people as much cool stuff to consume, whether it's digitally or whether it's print or whatever, um, as possible. So yeah, that's, for sure, that's where we're headed. Yeah, well, and you guys have been doing a great job with the social media feeds, the Facebook and the the Instagram um, wingman. Uh, just some some really great posts that just capture that moment and get me yeah, excited to get out and and hunt birds again. So you guys have done a really good job at that, and you guys are are reposting a lot of good hardcore Western bird hunters or all bird hunters for that matter around that have different shots. And it's amazing what guys are doing with cameras nowadays. But it you guys is. are you guys are doing a great job with with both of those social medias. Well, thank you, thank you. You know, there's a there's a lot of time that goes into that, and we're all kind of, like I said before, it's kind of me and Dan Turvey Jr. and Scott Reekers, we're always looking, we're always digging, seeing stuff, and Scott, you know, whenever we see something, we'll, we'll, we'll shoot it to Scott, and he'll repost it, or um, I'm still learning the repost app for Instagram, <laughs> I'm still getting that figured out a little bit, so... Yep. Um, but you just keep playing with it and learn it. You know, most of that stuff's pretty easy to use and you're just surfing. You're just constantly looking and throwing stuff up that, that catches your eye. You know, most likely if you like it, other people are going to like it too that have the similar interests. So, and you're right. The, the, some of the images that people are capturing, you know, and, and it's easier than ever now. Some of the, the phones, the cameras that are in phones take some amazing photos and people are able to click snap a cool angle or get a different look at something with a, with a phone and then boom it's on social media and they don't have to download it enough to do anything it's it's pretty amazing well, and you always have that camera on you, and so yeah. you end up taking a bunch of shots at everything you're doing, where it used to be a major process to get out your camera and set up a shot. Now, it's more of an organic feel, where everybody has a camera in their pocket, they pull it out and snap a couple shots, different angles, every single day they're out, and it's amazing the photos that they capture throughout doing that. Well, and it's, yeah, I mean, the old idea of, if you want to be a good photographer, you shoot a lot of photos, but... 
you know, also, again, getting back to paying attention to your decoy spread, paying attention to what that bull elk's telling you when he's when he's talking to you, paying attention to the small things when you're trying to when you're trying to take pictures too, is people are doing that, you know, getting a cool angle. You know, it's some of the stuff that I've seen on Instagram, especially because um, I don't know, I really like Instagram. I like the whole picture layout feel of it. It's it's just really neat. I do too. Um. Man, the, some of the stuff that people that people post up with regarding wing shooting, but especially waterfowling, so cool. Some stuff that man, I never thought of that. And I, you see an idea, and you're like, all right, I'm trying that next time, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that. Just gives you different ideas and, and different looks, and it's just something fresh and organic, like you said. It's it's, it's fun. It's neat. Yeah, it's way cool for sure. Well, um, Todd, the guys at the office really speak highly of you, and I can see why. You're oh, just a, you. a wealth of knowledge when it comes to birds and big game, and I want to thank you for all the effort. Like You do a lot of the editing on my articles for the Bow Hunting Journal, and I want to thank you for all that that you've done over the years. Um, oh, it's a pleasure, man. It's it's uh, it's always fun to see what Brian Parney's going to come up with next. <laughs> it, it, it really is. I love, I love getting first stab at your stuff, man. It's awesome. <laughs> well, well, thanks so much for making me look good over the years, and you're doing a really good job with Wingman, and, and I'm excited to see where this thing's going to go in the future. Um, so thanks a bunch for being on, Todd. Hey, thanks for having me. I look forward to we'll do it again. We will have to do it again, for sure. All right, All right take thanks, care Brian. there in Wyoming. Yep, have a good night in Montana. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Uh, another episode in the books. Uh, really fun conversation with Todd. Um, I know we didn't talk a lot, a lot about big game. We kind of talked about wing shooting, um, and, and the podcast isn't going that direction. You know, I love hunting big game and I love talking big game, but it's also fun to talk over another facet of hunting and to sit down with Todd and talk about wing shooting. This this other it, adventure, this other activity that we can all do outdoors and all enjoy. That's that's out there for us. So. Um, kind of a different subject matter. Todd did a great job. He's such a good speaker and so passionate about wing shooting that that just comes out when he when he starts talking. So um, really fun episode with him. Um, again, uh, thanks to Sitka Gear for sponsoring the podcast. They're just building some really good next-level gear. I'm just so impressed with the technical side of their gear and then also their new camo pattern. I love the subalpine. Um, so make sure to give them some love, and thanks to them for sponsoring the podcast. Uh, over there at Eastman's, make sure to check out our wingmen. Um, check out the social media. Those guys are doing a great job with content. And, and check out that new turkey hunt that we have up um, on YouTube. And uh, with that... Um, I got to get upstairs and start packing. I um, heading to Hawaii. Gosh, I'm just so fortunate. I can't believe I get to go there and bow hunt and be able to take my family. Uh, I, I just never thought in a million years I'd be able to travel and bow hunt as much as I do. Um, it, it's just going to be a, a new place on planet Earth. Just this tropical place that this lush green grass with the with the ocean in the background. And then animals I've never even seen. The axis deer are supposed to be in the middle of the rut, which they have a roar that they do. I can't wait to hear that. And I just can't wait to just immerse myself in the, the woods of Hawaii there just to see what it has to offer. I am get to get to hunt goats and pigs and then the axis deer and, and hang out with these couple local guys that I've met, which... Um, it's just so nice of them to offer up a house for me to stay and, and their prime hunting spots they're going to take me to. 
Um, I, I just can't say enough good things about those guys and, and how much I appreciate it and want to pay those guys back. Uh, just such an awesome opportunity for me and for my family. So super excited for that. So I've got to get packed so I can catch my plane, get this podcast out, had to turn another article in and, and do some stuff for the business. So I've been super busy here, but I got out last night for bears. It was supposed to be my last night out. And, uh, I caught a giant jet black, um, up in the perfect spot. I really thought I had him dead to rights. Um, the wind was coming down the canyon and down the hill, just perfect wind direction. And, and then the bear was just feeding in this little bench, and I saw him kind of scrape on a tree, and I really thought he was going to hang there. And so it, it couldn't have taken me more than 10, 15 minutes to make it to him. Perfect win. I was quiet as a mouse sneaking up, and I snuck up over the bench, and he was going to be there at 30 yards or so. And got over the bench and he was just gone so you know and that's and that's bear hunting but boy was it a thrilling encounter and thrilling stock i didn't get him close in bow range i had him in in rifle range um at one point the last point i saw him but um i really thought he was going to be there over the bench so my heart was pumping and i thought i was going to get my chance and get my opportunity but um you know wasn't the first time a bear's disappeared on me and won't be the last. I, I looked for him to the left, looked for him to the right a couple ridges and just couldn't relocate him. I don't know where he wandered off to, but just a bear being a bear, I know I didn't spook him. That stock was money. You know, I did I did everything right on my part. But So last night was supposed to be my last night out bear hunting, but I got to just go one more night. I got to see if I can pick that one up again, and, and it might just come together for me. So, um tonight is my absolute last night bear hunting i uh after tonight i have to call it quits and and get ready and make sure i can get on my plane but uh super excited for this trip coming up and and uh super excited at the season i've had chasing bears i've just had a lot of fun and a couple in bow range that that weren't quite shooters and um had some great stocks on some bigger bears and so just a a really fun time in the mountains uh just pumped on it so um, thanks, as always, guys, for all the support, social media. Thanks for the support on the podcast. Um, I'm just I'm just so humbled, you know, at how well this podcast is doing and how well it's being received. Um, uh, thanks for the positive reviews on iTunes. Um, I've actually got a couple negative ones here lately, but I've got to be able to take constructive criticism, too. And, um, you know, guys that, that said... You know, I use verbal crutches too much that I say for sure and mm-hmm too much, a couple other ones. So I've got to take note of that and try to get better. But, you know, I'm also, my expertise lies in, in bow hunting knowledge. And, and, and I'm trying to get better at speaking all the time and better at, at, at being a conversationalist and, and really try to get the most out of my guests. But, you know, my, my expertise lies in my bow hunting knowledge and sharing that with you guys. So, But I'm always trying to improve and I got to pay attention to those and be better and make sure I don't say them throughout the entire podcast. And and uh, so I'm going to work on that. And I, I also say um sometimes without thinking about it, like on the beginning and the end of the podcast. And I think I use it to buy myself more time when I'm talking. But but all of these things can be improved on and I need to work on them and, and become better. And I'm, you know, this guy said to listen to 60 minutes and I, you know, I'm never going to be Tom Brokaw or that professional. And I think 
the reason podcasts do good is because they're they're unprofessional. I like that. I like that it's off the cuff, free flowing, say what you feel, say what you think. I think that's what makes a really good podcast. So I'm never going to be to that level, but I can always work, you know, on the on the way I speak and and uh, work on my conversation with guys. And so just always trying to improve and I take that to heart. I want to get you guys the best information out there and and be the best at this platform I can. And so I've got to always work on proving. And and that being said too, the bigger you get, the more, you know, negativity you're going to see. And I get a bunch of support and everybody's really positive, but you know, I'm also about once a day or, or once every couple days, I'm getting these negative comments on, on Instagram, more so negativity on hunting. And I don't know why people troll so bad. Um, but so I think that's also uh, that that's signs that you're you're making it in the industry. Any uh, anybody that gets big in the industry has negativity, and and the bigger their page, the more negativity you see, and and with that a lot of positivity, and and that's what I get. I get a ton of positivity, positive comments, uh, uh, su- supportive. For the podcast and for for me personally, and I just love that and want to spread that out to you guys. You know, anytime I'm I'm looking through, I I want to encourage you guys and and uh, tell you congratulations when you harvest an animal, and uh, I like that and enjoy that. And I get that's mostly what I get from you guys. You know, just a couple of these comments and a couple of these negative reviews that that I've got to work through, but I I've got to take it to heart and continually try to improve. So that's what I'm doing. But thanks to you guys for all the support. I really appreciate it. It means the world to me. Uh, And with that, let's get this thing out there to you guys and get me packing for my trip. And uh, I'll check in with you next week when I get back.